Hello, and welcome to the Viva podcast. My name is Jarrell. I'm Rachel. Thank you for joining us today. Happy Friday, Jarrell. It's Friday for us that we're recording. It is Friday. Happy Friday. I'm excited that it's Friday. It's also, we're recording on National Donut Day. Have you had your donut today? No. I oh, sad. Only, I can't with all of the Instagram holidays. It was Global <laughs> Running Day this week, so I'm done. It was. That's it. Like, otherwise, it would be dictating what I'm eating, like, every day. Because I've read something about National Iced Tea Day is happening soon. And apparently there's a National Grilled Cheese Day. And I just, I, I can't. It's very stressful to think about and plan, like, how I'm going to secure, like, a donut on a particular day. Right. Plus, the only donut I want is not within, like, reasonable travel distance on a Friday mm-hmm. afternoon. And so, like, I'm not going to celebrate with an inferior donut. Gotcha. Montclair Bread Company for anyone. Actually, they're called Rabble Rise Donuts now. I will remember that. But for anyone <laughs> listening, locations in Montclair and New Paltz. And if you're celebrating National Donut Day with another donut, you're probably doing it incorrectly. <laughs> no offense to your donut, but it's those are facts. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about something a lot less pleasant than donuts. <laughs> How's that segue? Sure. That was good. Okay. So in addition to apparently National Donut Day making news, there have been a lot of other things floating around, Uh, namely, and more presently, unfortunately, because more just happened yesterday or the day before, I'm losing track of time, but there's been a lot of news about mass shootings because there have been a lot of mass shootings. Mm -hmm. So actually, I think the most recent two didn't get a lot of press probably because we're still focusing on the last mass shooting. But anyway, we want to talk about how to reframe how people are thinking about these events and the impact that they cause and what you can do about it. We're going to offer some tips to manage your own feelings individually, but also talk about why that's not enough and it should stop being talked about like it's enough. So without any further ado, let's get mad which is in case anyone did not know and didn't pick up on it is supposed to be sung to the tune of let's get loud. Okay. Better than let's get physical. Oh yeah. I didn't go there. Yeah. Like I'm not going to sing, but I figured like let's get mad really translates to the beat of let's get loud. Yeah. That works. It's a little bit more fun that we're going to talk about something absolutely atrocious. Mm. So the biggest thing that's bothered me in this in this coverage other than the fact that it's happening in the first place is this idea of the injury toll Mm -hmm. so you'll read it or hear about it and it'll say you know 10 people dead and 16 people injured Mm -hmm. so that's a lie not because those there are not 16 people injured and 10 people dead but there are more people injured as a result of these events and i think it's very important that we start talking about it as if it is true because we're really minimizing the societal impact these things are having, right? Because I think it's human nature, for better or worse, to become numb, unfortunately, to these things because it is hap- they happen often. And to kind of have distance of, hey, it doesn't impact me because it's not literally happening to me. And this isn't just with tragic events. This is just generally, right? Like, I think if we took on the emotions and experience of every traumatic thing that went on in the world, like we'd never get up in the morning. So to some degree, Mm -hmm. it's a good thing. 
But in this case, I don't think we're fully showing how problematic mass trauma is, especially when it keeps happening over and over again. So in that example, when I say it's not 16 people injured, it is actually hundreds because there's like a web that branches out. Okay. So those 16 people are injured. Okay. But then people who experienced it that didn't have a physical injury are also injured because they're traumatized. I can't imagine what that it would be like for one of those elementary school kids who witnessed what happened at their school in Texas. They're never going to be the same. That's an injury. That's a mental injury. That kid is never going to be who they were prior to that day. And that's going to carry, they're going to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. So, okay. So now anyone who is in that building is injured. There's not a single person in that building who made it out uninjured. Now you have to broaden that out to everyone that they knew. So you're talking about in addition to people who passed their family members, people who were injured, their family members and friends, people who witnessed it, their family members and friends. And if you want to really broaden it out even further than their family members and friends, the friends and family members of the friends and family members, because now they're impacted by the fact that they're, you know, the mother of a kid who has gone through this trauma and that mother's best friend is also now impacted by that because her best friend is never going to be the same. You can even go further longitudinally and say that the relationships that the 10 year old who is now traumatized forever choose to have in their later adult years, they're impacted because now they're getting somebody who's been through this trauma and it's going to impact their future relationships. And that might sound dramatic or like we're really reaching, but that's how this works is that whatever happens to you also happens to the people around you because it changes you and it therefore changes how you interact with them and how they interact with you. And then they know people and this is this endless cycle. And so the fact that we don't talk about this when we say who's impacted is actually just mental health stigma at work because we're basically discounting what it means to have this web of trauma and everyone who's caught up in it. And it's a hell of a lot more than you know 20 people, for example. Right. And I think it's um, to, to that point, I don't even know, I guess I haven't seen people, news anchors, media, et cetera, actually talking about the existence of trauma in these situations. Right. They, they talk Literally about the only one person shout out to Yankees announcer, Michael K. Okay. There you go. But like, that's it. But like, that's yeah. crazy. Right. It's just like a yeah. sports broadcaster ranting on his radio show, but not actually the people reporting the news. Yeah. I, like I have yet to hear that on any like news outlet. And so it is completely ignoring the existence of a trauma that is not physical. And that's what people tend to focus on. Right. They tend to focus on obviously the death or the injury of people who are directly impacted. Um, but you know, as mental health professionals, obviously we know the, and we see the impact of traumatic events in a web, right? We work with um, adults who have lived through and experienced things and um, even just like witnessed certain things in their family, right? And how that impacted how they were raised and, um, and how they think about things. And so obviously, if that happens in like an a more everyday kind of situation, that's obviously going to be true. And in more important ways uh, for people who are, who experience something like a massacre, right? Um, it's just really shocking that we're at this point in which 
we're still not yet having that conversation in the mainstream about the trauma of gun violence. And um, what I will say though, this has also been very, very small in coverage is people are starting to like the Sandy Hook kids, I think are now in high school. Um, and they're the people who, so the kids who survived Sandy Hook are in high school and they are talking. I think there was a couple of them that were, that have been on social media recently, at least that got gained some traction, um, speaking about like the longstanding impact and what it feels like to have this happen again and again, and how that compounds their trauma of being survivors from that previous incident that happened a while ago. And yeah, it's just like the impact of that. We, we often talk about intergenerational trauma in terms of thinking about, you know, instances like religious persecution and slavery and enslavement, but this is also intergenerational trauma. This is also setting us up to have so many more people negatively impacted by something that is that can be reduced dramatically. And so it's just, yeah, it's, I find it, I don't know, there's so many words, but (laughs) um, it's just in a word, just like absurd to think about that it's this, it's happening this often and this many people are being impacted and affected and it doesn't seem urgent um, for the people who are in charge of making these decisions. Well, if you think about it, that's like a societal, I mean, mental health stigma for for real, because we're not even talking about that there's some type of mental damage, Mm -hmm. but you also think about broaden this out to how people have been talking about COVID recently. And it's very much like, well, it doesn't kill you. And so therefore you're fine. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but my quality of life and standards and expectations for that fall somewhere in between perfectly fine and dead. Right. So it's this idea of like, right. If, and you know, you think about the injuries Like we're not even talking about the mental health of those who have permanently altering physical injuries or Correct. not even permanent, but like, those are catastrophic injuries. Right. What are they going through? And what is that trauma adding to the trauma of witnessing a mass shooting? But this is what we keep talking about. It's like, you're either fine or you're dead. Mm-hmm. And so I, I keep hearing that, right? I've heard about that with COVID of like, well, you know, it doesn't kill you. It might just give you a heart condition for the rest of your life. Like what? Right. Right. Like, why is that okay? Why sure, are we accepting better that? Better than death, right. right. But it's like, we don't, it's funny because we also don't really accept that in a lot of other areas, right? It's like you complain about, you know, a sandwich that's bad and you're like, oh my God, the sandwich tastes awful and you throw it out. Nobody tells you, well, eat it because it could be toxic sludge. So you're fine. Like that's, that would be a weird thing to say to somebody. Mm -hmm. And yet we do that with these things. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you're not dead and you survived the shooting. So like, you're good, right? You survived COVID. So you're good, right? Like, no. And I think people do that as to, you know, like you said, there are people in charge who are not taking responsibility or their priorities lie in the organizations that fund their campaigns rather than actually working with people that they're supposed to represent. And I think that mentality is done on purpose to get you to not think about how problematic these things actually are. It's like, oh, well, you know, only X amount of kids died. And I literally think the governor of Texas said, well, more people die in Chicago and New York over a weekend than that. Oh, okay. 
Well, if we're just, if that's just a low number bed, then, you know, and I think people have even said like those who agree, well, it's only, I don't remember how many kids exactly, but like, for example, yeah. though, it's only 10 kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. One, that's incredibly callous. And number two, mm-hmm. it's not, it's actually hundreds of people impacted by this. If you are considering mental health, which apparently we all should, cause right. Mental health is important. We just had mental health awareness month that everybody mm-hmm. celebrated. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're all agreeing mental health is important. And if you have a different standard, then, well, as long as you're not dead, you're doing well. Yeah. It's pretty nuts that that is Mm -hmm. how we're viewing these things. Because like I said, I think if you ask a lot of people, they don't view their own life that way. Well, today was a good day because I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we could probably also aim higher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, that that should not be the baseline. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I also think it's, and I've also seen this with the COVID situation as well. Um, it people, I mean, this is especially true for politicians, but it's also true for quote unquote, everyday people. Um, I think people aren't really recognizing they're not giving themselves space to recognize their like competing motivations right? They're not going deeper. Some people maybe are horribly sociopathic and intentionally misleading and manipulating. That's certainly true for some people in politics, I believe. Um, But also for the greater populace, I think it's like, do you not, yes, you could believe that there's the right to, you know, own a weapon, a gun, um, there are these things, but okay, what's the competing, but you also want your kids to be safe in school, right? You also want your grandmother to be able to walk down the street without being attacked. Um, But people aren't really taking time to acknowledge sort of like their gains and motivations and how that informs their choices and how that informs the action or inaction for certain things like gun control. Um, And I find that just like, so I find that incredibly challenging to accept. Um, It's almost as if I would feel so much better if people, especially people in power would say like, yeah, I think, I actually think this thing is more important than gun control. And that is my position instead of doing this double talk, which now happens a lot more, especially using the excuse or rationale of mental health, which is, that's frankly pissing me off. Um, sort of now adopting this language, well, it's not about gun control, it's about mental health. No, just say that you got $2 million from the NRA last year and that's your priority, right? Be real about it, either be real with yourself and or be real with everyone who's looking at this and listening to you. Um, and let us, move, let us move forward in the way that we need to move forward. Like why, why I think people are really cowardly and in their deception and manipulation of the whole situation. Um, and I think it puts everyday people in this position of obviously getting the influence of those thoughts and perspectives, even when accepting those premises continues to negatively impact them <laughs> and the people they care about. It's just wild to me. Yeah. I I mean, I think the world would be a better place in general if everyone could just speak their truth and just be like, what it is. Um, Like basically like a better 
version of like what was the movie this is going to be really random because I don't quote movies but like there was a I, I feel like the name of this is going to be very obvious but like wasn't there a movie with some of the with one of the comedian guys where like he couldn't tell a lie <laughs> liar liar oh, okay it's literally <laughs> that wasn't creative at all yes um but like that except like not mean because wasn't he also like calling people fat and saying their dress was terrible sure Um, but like right but that and that way you know at least it's authentic and people who agree can agree and you know all the non-sociopaths can vote them out well also can we pause for a brief second on that just to close the loop on liar liar because also at the crux of that story was the whole plot was driven by his son, I believe, made the wish that he could not tell a lie for a certain amount of time. So here you have oh. a child, right, holding an adult accountable for being a horrible person. So anyways, yeah. continue. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. I, I, I never saw the movie and I didn't realize it was such a good example. That is the premise. Yeah. I, I mean, it's something in which, and like you said, that it pisses you off, right? And I agree. And I'm going to talk about why everybody should be more angry in a second, but it's not mental health. And we actually, I think the last time this came up in conversation, recorded a podcast episode about why it's actually so problematic for people to be saying that. Mm-hmm. So go back and listen. But even if it was, let's play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. It's not, but just in case. You're not funding mental health either. We're not doing anything about that. And there's in no health care. You're all. cutting mental right. health funding. There's no universal health care. There's no, you know, increased funding for mental health treatments. Like, so that's not happening either. So can't really be that important to take care of people's mental health, right? Yep. We're not even really funding mental health for the survivors of this trauma. Right. Independent organizations are doing so, mm-hmm. but there's no stretch to like, you know, let's make sure people are really okay. You know, the president visits to just be like, hi, I'm here, which mm-hmm. like, I actually, I'm waiting for the day that a new story comes out where like one of the families is like, no, screw you because you aren't doing anything. And like, don't try to console me. This is your fault. Um, Hopefully one day, maybe it's happened and just never made the news. I'm sure it's happened. I want a news report about it. And I'm going to like applaud those families and like send them, you know, pie on national pie day or something. Yeah. But speaking of being angry. So and I know, Jarell, you're more in the space to so have like more concrete tips than I do because I'm just mad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people are angry enough. And I think part of why, and it's funny, you probably should have started this part, but part of why is because we just keep telling people how to deal with the moment mm-hmm. rather than how to prevent the moment. And so we're going to tell you how to deal with the moment because we're in it and you still need to do that. But part of like my tip and then I'm going to pass it to you because I don't have any other tips for this right now Mm -hmm. is you need to be angrier and you need to focus on changing the situation in the limited power we have rather than just being like well let me turn off the tv because yes that's helpful and you do need to take care of yourself and you need to not turn into a basket case however that's not actually preventing anything so you're just putting a band-aid over the very poorly punned bullet hole it's not helping. And so yes, self-care, taking care of yourself. And we're going to go through that, but then we're also going to talk about things you can do to hopefully stop this from happening because that's the fix is to do your best to prevent this from happening again, not to turn off the news. So go. Yeah. uh, That is the, that is the only fix. Preventing is the only fix. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways and nuances of how to prevent 
that is beyond the scope of this podcast, but. <clears throat> oh, not entirely. Just you not, wait. Sorry. Not in, well, not entirely, but <laughs> obviously. threatening. Right. In a lot of ways it is. So like in terms of responding to these moments, um, you know, uh, by now, unfortunately, we've all sort of developed some ways to cope, right, and manage uh, our own individual experiences as, you know, um, for lack of a better term, like digital bystanders of the situation. So I'm not specifically talking to survivors in this moment. Um, and I, I think the one thing I want to be sure to communicate to people is two things. One is that even if you are not directly impacted, um, and, and I want to say direct, I mean on the scene in which these situations happen, it is still valid if you feel impacted by these moments and these incidents. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. That is valid. And that is something that we are understanding more and more about vicarious trauma, especially in the age of the 24-7 news cycle. So that's one. The other thing is that for people who are impacted either directly or indirectly, my recommendation is that if you notice that you're having a hard time with this stuff, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to get um, professional or peer mental health support quickly. Because um, one of the things that the research points to is that in the wake of tragedies or these traumatic events, uh, we can actually prevent the development of long lasting mental health problems as a result of these experiences. And that really happens when we get people to the care that they need within like the first 30 days. Um, so if you're directly or indirectly impacted and you're really starting to see the influence of that impact on your mental health and your life, please make sure that you get connected to someone who can help you, like a professional that can help you, an individual therapist or group, um, whatever that may be, uh, that can be tremendously helpful in figuring out how to move forward with all these things still happening um, and maybe even help you show up in ways that would be helpful to also, you know, prevent as we're about to talk about in a moment. So yeah, I think those are two main things I want to just add to the conversation about like responding as an individual to these moments. Yeah. And I will say as kind of a disclaimer before I say what I'm going to say that I co-sign all of that. Um, but even as I say that, and I know that you're correct, like I'm mad, I'm mad that that's all people are being offered. Mm when they shouldn't have to cope with mass shootings in the first place. Right. They shouldn't have to cope with being told their identity doesn't matter. They shouldn't have to cope with like, oh, well, don't worry about this novel virus because it won't kill you probably. Like that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And while I think it's like a double-edged sword of that you have to give people some tools in the moment so they're okay in the moment and can get through their day to day, because to some extent we do have to keep moving. Like you have to live your life. Yeah. I also just think it takes away from the fact that it's not acceptable. Like, it's just not okay that this is the situation that people are being put in when it is preventable. It's mm -hmm. not okay. And not enough people are publicly angry. And, you know, I don't stand politicians at all, but I want to shout out Elizabeth Warren because when the Roe v. Wade. Yeah 
the decision leaked. She was visibly upset. And I think she was the only one who was visibly upset. <laughs> the only two people that I saw make statements that were visibly upset after the Texas shooting was Yankees broadcaster Michael Kay and Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate their perspectives, but that's crazy because they <laughs> yeah. actually don't have the power to do anything. Right. They're just people with high profile jobs. Right. So why is no one else angry? You know, I hear about people, even just like non-public people talking about this and it's no one's mad because I think, and this is something that really came to light during COVID is that people like think this is how it has to be versus it being the choice of a very small group of corrupt people. Like that's why this is happening. And, you know, mm. like you said, it extends past the scope of this podcast to get into like all the problems with our government and elected officials and all the nuanced things that brought us to this place where a very small group of people are literally going against what like 80 plus percent of Americans want. Mm-hmm. But that's ridiculous. That's right. Easy. Right. So why are, aren't we mad? Why aren't we madder? There are still people who, despite this, don't know that there are very important primary elections this month. And I wonder if that's because they don't realize that it is preventable and you can do something about it. Um, donating to elect to campaigns for elected officials that aren't in your area, but are in swing districts or swing races, you know, living in New York city. And for people who maybe live in other more liberal cities, a lot of our elections are kind of just like, well, you know, there's nothing really too contested, but like there are elections elsewhere that you can help if you have the means to fund or to volunteer for, you don't have to necessarily live in that state or city to help make change. Um, It's also not just the Republicans. And I think people are really vilifying that. It's like, please look into how some of the people that some of us may have supported in 2020 that are actually complicit in making sure these things don't change. They might not be vocally speaking out about it in lunatic words like some of the Republican Mm -hmm. elected officials, but they're also not helping. Mm -hmm. And why aren't we madder about that? Why aren't we demanding more? And there's just so much you can do that you do have the power. You know, there are people who are trying really hard to take that away from you or make it as hard as possible for you to exercise that power, but you have the power. And I'm not gonna sit here and, you know, run down a list of candidates you should vote for or where you should lean politically. But if you think this is a problem, know that it doesn't have to be this way. And that is not just mass shootings. That is the fact that COVID is still a thing, despite the fact that shockingly pretending it doesn't exist has not worked. And we're in like the fourth worst spike since this started. It's LGBTQ rights. You know, it's what people are talking about after the leaked Roe v. Wade decision about, oh, they're coming for LGBTQ marriage next. They're coming for interracial marriage next. And people are like, oh, yeah, no. Like the fact that that's even an option, that it could be taken away, you should be mad. And you have control over that if you are more aware of what's going on around you and educated into what you can do. It, you don't have to accept it. I'm like that song, we're not going to take it anymore. It's now playing over and over mm. in my head. But like, it's about this. You don't have to just accept what's happening as something that you have to throw your hands and be like, well, sometimes bad things happen. Yes, sometimes it rains on your beach day. And sometimes people get sick when, you know, they didn't want to get sick, which is most people. But 
things like this are not in that category. This is right. not a act of nature. This is a deliberate choice. And I think the more people are educated on that, rather than believing the bullshit, I think the world will be a better place. So this is our attempt to do so because it is, this is how you solve the mental health crisis, not, well, it's mental health and leave mm -hmm. it at that because that's not doing anything. And this is not caused by mental health. This is caused by the fact that someone should not be able to pick up an AR-15. Yeah. Rant over. Yeah, I mean, I think I would just add on to say that obviously people, we are practically limited in time and energy in ways that maybe we weren't years ago. So I will also say, um, that if you can't do everything, that's fine, but do something, do something that you feel really does need to change. Like start that today, you know, whether that's writing a letter, whether it's donating to a campaign, whether it's getting the information that you need to really understand the status of the situation, why things are the way they are and learning more about what you can do about it, do something because there's a lot of people not doing enough, um, whether it's because they're not angry or because they're complicit or because they're greedy or whatever. There's a lot of people not doing enough. And that's why we continuously find ourselves in this situation in which, I don't know, in the past two weeks, it's been like every day. It's so much, you know, it's, and it's just like that the, in, as you were saying, Rachel, like in no way is that acceptable. Right. It's like, it's also like any other thing that we regulate. Right. It's like you, people have to have driver's licenses, right. They have, there's certain processes for certain things and all those measures reduce risk to public safety. And there are so many people who agree on common sense policy changes with respect to firearms that is being blocked by a small group of people who we have chosen to lead us. So I think it's about time for some people to find new jobs. And that's all I gotta say. A lot of people. Um, yep. Yeah, and you know, I will add one more thing. While I appreciate the show of solidarity that people express on social media, through campaigns, like everyone's apparently wearing orange today. Yeah, also, also that happened quite haphazardly, just saying. I mean, I'm going to say yeah. some controversial things in a second. But it also really pisses me off because posting on social media into your echo chamber doesn't change anything. Not a thing. So that's nice that like you can, you know, show support and maybe there's someone who's directly impacted that read that and knows that there's someone in their corner. You know, I'm sure it is nice for the LGBTQ community to see, you know, most of their feed posting in favor of Pride Month. But that's not actually meaningful unless you're also in the trenches with those people fighting to make sure their rights aren't taken away. If right. all you're doing is posting on social media, like you're not doing anything. Yeah. You're doing the bare minimum, like 1%. And I think there's a lot of people who feel really good about themselves because they're making some type of statement to whatever large or not large audience they have. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, or it matters in such a small way. Yeah. 
Ted Cruz does not care that you're wearing orange today. Right. Like that's nice that you are. And it's, it's good that you're showing solidarity and that it matters to you. But are you wearing orange on the steps of the Capitol building? Right. Like, no, I don't think so. I don't think that that's a thing. So they don't care. The senators and politicians who are bought by the NRA do not care that you're wearing orange today. It will not change anything. It makes you feel better by not doing anything, but it still feels like you're doing something. And I get so angry at the politicians who like encourage it because I feel like it's on purpose mm-hmm. because it stop, it makes you think you're doing something and you're helping when in reality you're helping 2%. So I would say, yeah. you know, step out of your comfort zone. Yeah. If you want to support, for example, like mental health awareness month just happened. If you want to support that, okay, cool. You know, post on social media, if that feels good, but also do something else, donate, go participate in a walk, volunteer. Like you said, write a letter, phone canvas for campaigns, like whatever, do something that feels more than what you've done before. Because like I said, while it's a show of solidarity, it's not actually making change. And I don't mean to diminish anyone or say anyone's a bad person for not doing more, but that's just the reality of the situation. And I think we need to talk about that more. Right. Yeah. That just is, those things are what they are and their, their images online. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So I think we'll leave you with that. Go do something. Cause this, this, this is not, not going to work. This is not good. <laughs> so, you know, that's, yeah, that's it. It's bad and we can do something about it. So let's do that. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you will tune in again, new episodes every other Wednesday. In the meantime, take care of yourself and go do good. Bye.